fade, 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 fade. Yep. That was more we going off that disco ball song we had going on earlier. That's right. Very um, groovy. Do, do, do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is. Nice and nice and fun. You know, really nice and had good beats. If you're yeah. wondering what the show is, we are not a disco show. We are We're the, not? We're not. We're the Arts Report. You're listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting mm-hmm. from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. This is our October 25th show. Ooh, you know, a little less until Halloween, right? Yeah. A little this less is, a week. This is our Halloween show, really. Well, pre-Halloween show. Pre-Halloween. Yeah. Unfortunately, we are... Because next show is probably going to be our post-Halloween show as well. That's our post-Halloween show. We're right after when Halloween. When we're just getting over the hangover. That's right. All the candy hangover and all that kind of stuff. That's the exactly fireworks. Saying, There's yeah. already fireworks being sold around my home in like the little, <laughs> in the little marts and everything. As long as they're not going off around your home, that's I probably... I hope not. I hope not. I already have a lot of like problems in my home as it is. Mm. Oh, boy. Anyway, I'm your host, Ashley Park. And I'm Jake Clark. And we we have a lot of stuff for you today. We do. We got a uh, Halloween is generally a very good time for the arts. You know, it's the time when people bust out the cosplay and the various thematic features. I mean, it's the time when the I watch candy. the first Elm Street movies. Really? Yeah, yeah, they're they're good movies. Like the first one's just a really good horror movie. The second one's an allegory for coming out as gay, and the third one's a look at teenage mental illness. Mm-hmm. And then, then it kind of went off the deep end, but you know, all with a bit a, of a scary twist and a little bit of gore thrown in. Why oh, not? Oh yeah, right? the, the effects are great. Like looking back on that, that was the '80s, and that's still pretty convincing. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a pretty good stuff. We have a lot of cool stuff for you guys today. Uh, first off, we actually want to kick off with a ticket giveaway. Two ticket giveaways. Two ticket giveaways actually. And if you are interested in these tickets, what we recommend is that you guys call in during our ad segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number is 604-822-2487. That is our on-air uh, line if you're wondering what it is. It's 604-UBC-CITR. So that's pretty easy to remember. UBC-CITR. I'd say it is. So the first show that we want to kind of... Uh, I sh- work here. Well, well. <laughs> we want to like let still. you guys yeah. know about is a show on the 29th. It's called Foreclosure Follies. It's on Sunday, October 29th at 7 p.m. The Telus Studio uh, Theater at the Chan Center. Uh, pretty close by. Nice local venue. Yeah, and that's studio sessions. You might be wondering why it's called the Foreclosure Follies. Well, as we might... No, sadly, in 2008, the world experienced a seismic financial collapse. The bubble yeah. popped. Uh, yep, yep. You know, if you wanted to see the Brechtian version of the big short, this is kind of that. That's right. From what I understand. And it's crazy because parts of the globe continue to face a financial uh, crisis. <laughs> yes. I know. Let's laugh at the People day. lost their homes. Oh, man. <laughs> the economy ruptured itself. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the quality of life was upset for millions of people. And it still <laughs> is leading to a lot of different... Merry Millennium. Leading to a lot of different uh, government, um, you know, coups and takeovers and all that kind of stuff. But well, it's like we this... live in a post-9-11 generation. Yeah. We also live in a post-2008 generation. Like, that's two things that we as, I don't know if we're technically millennials, but that's something that we will demographically kind of be living in the shadow of for a while. Mm-hmm. So this cabaret actually explores the big questions that, you know, we face right now, which is, should we regulate or not to regulate? So to regulate or t- you know, or not to regulate. That is the question, Jake. That is the question, and it's mm-hmm. this nobler to suffer the slings and arrows of the... Screw the analogy. I just want to see the show. Right? It features an international cast of performances, uh, performers and guests from the worlds of law, economics, and finance with a discussion with the creators and the cast post-interval. This actually, the project grew out of a knowledge... The one guy looks a lot like David Hyde Pierce. I just want to point that out. In the uh, promotional poster. Uh, The project actually grew out of a knowledge exchange between between the writer uh, Helen Eastman, the composer Alex Silverman, and a lawyer and economist, Professor Janice Sarah of UBC. So... All these like economists, bankers, and commercial law judges basically came together with actors and creative people to ask how we should use the arts to pose essential questions in our society, including involving that of you know the economy, nationwide economy. Um, the result is a Brecht style cabaret with plenty of music and comedy, asking some kind of uncomfortable questions that 
we don't really talk about the finance sector. So the, this event is presented by uh, Live Canon and the annual review of insolen- insolvency. Well, not insolency. Insolvency law. Insolvency. Yeah, yeah insolvency yeah. law. Thank you. In partnership with the Peter Wall Institute for Advanced Studies at the University of British Columbia. So the professor, uh, Janice Sarah, is a part of it. She is a UBC professor. And this is only for a one-night show in Vancouver, but it's touring New- to New York, London, and and Oxford as well. So it's a pretty big uh, show. You can only see it one night, and this is it's this Sunday, October the 29th. I hope people uh, check it out. But uh, it seems pretty cool. If you are interested, mm-hmm. we actually have, with the yep. gracious, gracious like team who uh, provided us a pair of free tickets, if you want the pair of free tickets to the Foreclosure Follies, which is this Sunday at 7 at the Telus uh, Theater in the mm-hmm. Chan Center, Please let us know which UBC professor is involved with this project and give us a call at 604-822-2487 during our ads. It'll be a great fixture for your Halloween weekend. I mean, what's scarier than, I don't know, fighting Chapter 11 bankruptcy? The economy is so scary. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's this weird sort of draconian Darwinian playground, playground, probably mm-hmm. more complex than that because that also describes high school. That's but right. We're really far- getting in there. We're getting with the real scary stuff in the beginning of the show. There we are. Oh yeah. boy, only going to get scarier from here. Yeah. And this is coming from a guy who's seen, well, who recently watched a movie where Freddy Krueger makes a man into a puppet using his ligaments. Mm-hmm. But that's not all. We actually have another wonderful opportunity for all of our listeners. What do we have, Jake? Well, if you're into a mixture of Indian music and jazz for Halloween. Ooh, that's good. You can see Zakir Hussain and Dave Holland at the Chan Center at 8 on on Saturday, the 28th. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Zakir Hussain is a... uh, He's the world's foremost tabla master, so he's very well versed with a certain mm-hmm. variety of music. And Dave Holland is a jazz musician. He's a band leader. He's a composer, and I believe his specialty is bass. And the two of them have this interesting. Like, there's a lot of energy to it. I've seen some of it on the um, online and videos of it. And it, well, the the Chicago Tribune actually had an interesting thing to say. If there is such thing as a tabla superstar, into Indian virtuoso Zakir Hussain is it. He's, he's like he's like uh, the yo-yo ma of tabla, if you will, and um, you can see him along with Dave Holland perform the full concert. Like it seems pretty groovy, and uh, for that, for our giveaway there, uh, you guys can call in and tell us either if you have a favorite uh, bongra song or if you have a favorite jazz song. Because I, now I'm not too familiar with uh, Indian music, to to be, to be honest. Like I know the names Ravi Shankar, and I've seen I've seen some Bollywood movies, but I I, I wouldn't know the genre well at all. So this, mm-hmm. for me to see this is a very interesting thing. It's very interesting to also do this during Halloween weekend. Mm-hmm, that's right. That's 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 that, that's an interesting score to that. And uh, like I like things like this, like these sort of genre fusions. They're very interesting. They're mm-hmm. very interesting to see too, especially when they because. When they work, there's usually this smoothness to it. But when they don't work, that the idiosyncrasies there really mm-hmm. show themselves, and you can see the micro the microcosm of these greater divides in there. I might be reading too much into it, but <laughs> it it it, sh- it promises to be a really good event. Yeah, but it's also pretty groovy mm-hmm. from from what I've seen. So it's this Saturday at eight p.m. at the Chance Center. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. If people want uh, tickets to it. Uh, what should what should they do? What are we doing for the ticket giveaway? Well, for the ticket giveaway, yep. like I just said uh, about a minute ago, you can call in and tell us either your favorite Bangra song or yep. your favorite jazz song. All right, and they have to call in when? Uh, well, ideally now. Ideally now. I, uh, <laughs> on our commercial break would probably mm-hmm. be good. Well, we'll have the word from our sponsor, possibly with that terrifying ad that's describing what sounds like a Marilyn Manson music video because if we don't have that for Halloween it just it just misses an opportunity really <laughs> it just misses an opportunity uh, you can call in tell us that or also oh funny thing you could also do is you could tell us what album uh, mm-hmm. Dave Holland performed on with Miles Davis and it's alliterative or you could um, <clears throat> excuse me sorry a bit of throat's a little sore today um you could tell us which uh, Irish, I'd say, R&B musician Hussein has collaborated with in the past. Mm-hmm. 
And again, the number is 604-822-2487. That's 604-UBC-CITR if you're wondering about the number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Halloween, you know. Yeah, there's always a lot of cool stuff. There's there is. There's stuff at UBC for Halloween. There's a lot of stuff at UBC for Halloween. There is. Can you tell us an example? I can, actually. Uh, we They uh, recently had, you know, they had... Uh, Last last Friday they had Halloween movie night and bubble tea, which was uh, the ring. Actually, was the movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh huh. I, I I will never stop confusing that movie with The Grudge until the day I die. One, I think the the mm-hmm. thing that always makes me separate is The Grudge has the little kid in it, Toshio, the little kid, and The Ring has like the long haired girl in it. So if you separate the cat sounding boy, that's in The Grudge, and the TV girl is in The Ring. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, just think, okay, Grudge, that has the boy in it. Yeah. Uh, I... Ring has the girl in it. Well, to be honest, there's another girl in the Grudge, but anyway. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say, aren't there? They're pretty similar-looking characters in both of them. Mm-hmm. The, uh, but that, that was last Friday. This Friday, SFS Sci-Fi and Fantasy Society has their Halloween party, which are actually pretty great because you can carve pumpkins, eat pizza, and also see Stranger Things season two. Ooh. Which, that's pretty it's a Halloween. Hit show. Like, yeah, it's a great show. Like I like seeing Winona Ryder and the ideas of H.P. Lovecraft and things. Mm-hmm. You can see both. I, I enjoy that, you know? Like, that's... Stranger Things is one of those things that really exists because of nostalgia. Yeah, it does. It's very nostalgia-fueled. But it's not bad because of that. I think, even though it's nostalgia-fueled, it's told in the lens of, you know, 21st century, like right now, present century, kind of creative, you know... Narration, and mm. that's like the reason why, even though it's nostalgic, it still feels fresh and new. Well, like so many people are, are trying right now, there's aim to retell the 80s, and it's going to be the 90s mm-hmm. very soon. I'm dreading when it gets to the early 2000s. Uh, <laughs> like it's that, that's sort of that kind of thing. Because I, I remember in high school, like there was a 70s nostalgia right around mm-hmm. when I guess I guess Uptown Funk is more prestige and more stay in the time, but there was like that 70s funk thing going yep. on. And even earlier, like earlier, like indie folk bands took a lot from Simon and Garfunkel and folk. Like it, it's moving faster than it happened historically. It's not an even thing. So eventually, mm-hmm. we'll loop into ourselves and it will go full postmodern. Yeah, yeah, that, that's 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 gonna be weird, but we'll get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, by the way. If you're interested in some spooky Halloween improv, which actually was a lot of fun last year. I was there last year. That story mm-hmm. was very interesting. Uh, that is on also on Friday. That's in Scarf. Uh, and uh, there are actually prizes for the best improv show, which, don't worry, we're going to get around to Rocky Horror later in this show, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's not a Halloween, you know, a hype-up show unless we mention Rocky no. Horror. But it's like... The things you expect to see cosplay at, like I still remember, the most cosplay I've ever seen at a screening, and this includes the furries at this Island of Dr. Moreau screening I went to, is mm-hmm. The Great Gatsby. I saw so many people in 20s get up for The Great Gatsby. Well, uh, wasn't The Great Gatsby kind of like, um, that That was like, wait, when was that? With Leo, with DiCaprio. Yeah, that when was that? Was that 2016, 2015? Oh, no, 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 that would have been 14, 14. Is it that old? I'm yeah, going to check yeah, right now. Yeah, 14, because I, I, uh, I was in grade 12. Yeah, I remember that. I, um, like, it's, uh, I remember reviewing it at the time. No, it's 2013. 13. Wow. Oh, uh, like, it was, I remember that, like, you know, you get, you, you get The Great Gatsby with, edited like a music video. Okay, yeah. Like, so many people were in costume for that, though, and I, I've been to Rocky Horror screenings every mm-hmm. Halloween for, actually, since 2013. Yep. And I still see about the same amount of cosplay at those as I did at The Great Gatsby. I think people just like periodic, you know, clothing. Because yeah. it's something that you don't wear all the time. Like, back in the day, it's like, they wore it all the time. It's just what they wear. But now, you don't wear it all the time. So, it feels even more special in that kind of way. What yeah. are you actually being for Halloween? Me? Yeah. I actually don't know yet. See, the thing with me and Rocky Horror is that yeah. if I go in plain clothes, they'll think I'm doing Brad. Oh, I see it. Because of the way I dress. I see it. Yeah. Hi, yeah, Brad. Everything except the hair. Mm-hmm. And Barry Boswick. Young Barry Boswick is a little more handsome than I am. But, uh, like, if I, all I need to do is put on glasses, instant Brad. Yep. Um, uh, one thing I would like to do, I did, I was Riff Raff once for Halloween, mm-hmm. the, the character in Rocky Horror, not the, the rapper, although that would also be very funny. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I've been working on a Riff Raff impression for a while, but the problem is like Riff Raff and James Franco from Spring Breakers are essentially the same character. They, they pretty much are like Riff Raff was going to play him, then Franco stepped in and then, so there you go. Like that, the problem is you have to explain that every time. I don't know. 
Like I, I, I was I was the Joker for Halloween once. I was technically the Joker for Halloween twice because I went as in first year I was uh, Cesare or Cesare from Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, mm-hmm. and I had a black wig and it was just so itchy. I took it off and my face is painted white with black under my eyes and all black otherwise. But mm-hmm. because I was a blonde guy with white face paint. And circles around me say like, "You're the Joker." I'm like, "You know what? Let's roll with that. That's great. That's perfect reasoning if you're colorblind." Uh-huh. So that was uh, that was me two years ago, mm-hmm. and then last year I'm pretty sure. Oh, last year I, I had a couple of different costumes. Um, this year, like when I was in high school, I used to make my own masks. For three years, I made paper mache masks mm-hmm. and uh, wore them to dances. Like it'd always be some variation of. Uh, like mask, overcoat, mm-hmm. uh, and these were like vaguely human-shaped face masks. They painted differently. Basically, you're kill- your basic serial killer from the '80s. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. yeah. '70s, '80s serial yeah, killer. Yeah, like it was uh, like a weird coat. mix of like flasher and serial killer. Yeah, aesthetic and because uh, at the time, like what I was going for was like Rorschach or the Question. Yeah, but I did not have the ability to pull that off. So what ended up happening was I just had this awkward creepy costume and eventually i was <laughs> well, asked to not do that. oh okay well yeah i was i was asked so in fourth year what i did is naturally did it the joker yeah actually and before that it's worth noting last year i did ducky from pretty in pink oh cool that was a costume i yeah. had and i i bring this up because a lot of my joker costume was my ducky costume just paint, just with your face paint in a different way yeah no yeah. no no face paint for ducky uh, I added a hat, and I used a bolo tie rather than a straight tie. But other than that, mm-hmm. I think the jacket was different, too. But waistcoat, shirt, pants, same thing for the Joker because they're all mismatched. And the Joker, I did the face paint. I did the, I got the, these makeup tutorials for Ledger, and I could do the voice really well because Ledger based the voice off uh, Tom Waits. Let me see if I can remember how to do it. Do I, do, I, do I really look like a guy with a plan? <laughs> I, I just do things. Because Ledger, Keith Ledger, saw Tom Waits, a young Tom Waits, mm-hmm. on TV in Australia. And I've seen that recording of Tom Waits. This was Tom Waits when he was still drinking, and you can tell because he's both drunk and hungover. Like, he's before At the, the show, time. he woke yeah. up and started drinking, basically. And he's got something in his – he's using a coffee cup as an ashtray. He's looking at the floor most of the time. He's speaking out of the bottom of his throat. He's like, I don't know if this is the t- – no, that was on Fernwood tonight, but Tom Waits – and that show goes, just sort of rumbling through the show here, as he's wont to do. And that scared young Heath Ledger, so he remembered that, and that's mm-hmm. what he based his Joker on. That so, and me about as young I'm kid. a Tom Waits fan, yeah. I could do that impression pretty well, because Tom Waits is very interesting. He actually pops up later in this show as well, because we're going to talk about Martin McDonough. That's right. Everything is tied. We're not just randomly doing this. Everything is tied together. Mm-hmm. God is a spinning electric olive, and the world is a spider's web. That's right. We are living in an abstract poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't have a continuum to that. Um, but yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, the AMS is also doing their Scream party where they're not actually showing the movie Scream, which to me is a plus. <laughs> I yeah. don't like Scream. But I, I, it's fun. It, it, it annoys it's place, me. It's a place where everyone can get together and have fun. I think it's like a big party, like an actual big party has like oh, live DJ is. going on. I think it's actually it's like the nest. Happen. It's at nine o'clock. Yeah, on, here at the uh, nest. on Friday. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be a big old party. Yeah. If people are like, oh man, I want to go to an actual Halloween party, but you know, I don't want to go downtown and like smell like you know booze and like thrown up booze. Why it's not? That, that's, it's Halloween. I don't like, like Halloween the smell of is a holiday food, of binging. When you're young, you binge on candy, and once you turn legal age, you binge on booze. However, we do not encourage candy again. We do not encourage binge drinking on our show. Just no, to let we encourage you know. binge drinking after we get off our show. <laughs> but at the same time, please drink responsibly this Halloween. Please, you know. Uh, Make sure that if you are doing, you know, fireworks, please be safe, that kind of thing. Yes. You know, be smart about it. You know, even though it's fun, losing a hand is not fun. No. And believe me, your friends will not let stop calling you lefty. Even if you lose your left hand, they'll call you lefty. So just, just don't do it. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of non-hand losing activities, there's a pumpkin carving club dive. Uh, actually, come to think of it, you could lose a hand that way on uh, on uh, October twenty eighth, mm-hmm. uh, which is <laughs> uh, the BC Aqua Society at Porto Cove. 
Portois? Excuse me, my eyes are failing me as well as my throat. And the Anime Club also has a Halloween social. Oh, that's um, fun. Yeah, yeah. On, on, on the 28th. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to do. And, of course, there's uh, Kerner's has Rocky Horror-inspired Halloween debauchery, their words, on um, <laughs> on Saturday. Inspired starting, debauchery. Uh, starting at 9 o'clock. So after you finish the Zakir Hussein concert. Why don't you head on over? Naturally. Naturally. Uh, I mean, like, dude, Time Warp is, like, it, it's called Time Warp. Because, of course, like, let's do the Time Warp again. Like, there's a lot of great things in Rocky Horror, but that song is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. That's that's Richard O'Brien. And we'll have a lot more cool stuff after these messages. Again, if you are interested in our ticket giveaway, the number is 604-822-2487. If you're interested in the ticket giveaway to the Foreclosure Follies, just let us know who the name of the professor is, the UBC professor involved in this project. Mm-hmm. All right. See you soon. Indigitization is a program that provides resources and training for First Nations and Aboriginal organizations throughout British Columbia. Come out November 24th from 1 to 4 p.m. in room 2311 in the AMS Nest for a three-hour workshop that will engage participants in a conversation about the unique context of working with Indigenous cultural heritage materials, as well as introduce the tools and equipment necessary to digitize audio cassettes for long-term preservation. Are you in need of any assistance today, sir? No. I could help you cross the street. No. I Tired of a world of no when you have so much to give? CITR and Discord got you in an outfit for all that stuff. Volunteer Wednesdays are back in the CITR lounge. It's an open house for members like you who are looking to meet cool people and get into the station. Join up, meet some folks, help some causes, or just hang the freak out. At the CRTR Discord Lounge from 1 to 3 every Wednesday for food and good times. Well, I gotta help you cross something. You're biking, you're biking, you're biking. Oh no! Something broke and you need it fixed or you need to learn how to fix it. And the AMS Bike Co-op and Bike Kitchen have been there for you. And now is your chance to be there for them. Come out November 10th to GAM Gallery at 110 East Hastings from 7 p.m. to midnight for Pedaling Art, their second annual fundraiser and bike art auction in collaboration with Our Community Bikes. So share the love. Make it out. Have you heard of Discorder? Yes. That salty magazine from CITR 101.9 FM? Yes. Pick up your copy of this month's issue at Red Cat Records, Budgie's Burritos, the VPL, or at any of our other 132 distribution locations. This issue features Aura Kogan, Holy Hum, Van City Queens, Good Night Out, and Sawdust Collector, plus reviews of local artists shows, and other creative endeavors. All in one Salty F publication. Yes! Yas, yas, yas. And we are back! Christ, we're insufferable. Just because of the ads? Well, that, uh, just, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, you're listening to the Arts Report, tagline, we are insufferable. Listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Western territory in Vancouver. I'm your host, Ashley Park. And I'm still Jake Clark. And we still have those tickets. So if you want, call mm-hmm. in anytime, 604-822-2487. A really cool show on the 28th and the 29th for you. <laughs> and bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you. Hope you don't get sick on Halloween, buddy. That time of year. Hopefully not. You know, that'll... I don't make the yelling at the screen in Rocky Horror really awkward. Ooh, Rocky Horror. Let's I don't talk end about up that. Sounding like Tom Waits. <laughs> Tom Waits in a Rocky Horror screening. Oh boy. That just scare everyone out. Uh, now Rocky Horror though, that's 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 a Halloween tradition there. Mm-hmm. It really that's is. at the Rio, isn't it? It is. Yes, this Friday. I got my ticket. Isn't it's, it sold out? I uh, is it? I, I don't know. There's not. always there's always some rush tickets at the mm-hmm. Rio. I heard lately. a lot of good things about it. Can you let um, us know, especially for people who've never, you know, been. Have you been to it before or no? The Rocky Horror at the Rio. Yeah. Uh, no. I don't oh, right. think first I've, time, huh? I've been to it at the Rio. I remember I did a Rocky Horror screening last year, yeah. but uh, my memory on it is hazier than I would like to admit. Was it due to the uh, candy? 
Wink. If you mean by candy, alcohol, yes, yes, exactly. It was the, it was the candy. Let's <laughs> we'll just call it candy for the entire show. That is very creepy. I didn't. He's like, have some candy, little boy. No. Okay, you, so that went to If a dark you put in place. little boy, then yeah. Hey, uh, but let's talk about it. Uh, why do you think Rocky Horror is so, you know, beloved, especially during Halloween time? Like, it has a certain kind of cult hit that isn't. Well, the other Halloween movies have a cult hit, of course, but for some reason, this is like really like becomes like a tradition. Well, so Rocky Horror is one of those things that is, at this point, it's a cultural fixture. But, like, yes. interesting thing, it was nominated for an Oscar when it came out. Mm-hmm. As for, like, the same year, Star Wars was nominated for an Oscar. If both those, if either of those movies came out today, neither of them would see the award season. They would not. And that's, <laughs> uh, I, I want to say that's pretty, pretty relevant at this point because, like, it's, it's, um, Rocky Horror is such a cultural cultural touchstone, excuse me. Yeah, it is. um, That you can't really avoid it around this time. Like, it always enters the discourse, whether you're talking about about geekery, about... about the about the queer identity about queer identity because it it plays into that a lot especially considering uh, Richard O'Brien's um, Richard O'Brien I, I do believe I don't know if he's trans exactly but he's had some very interesting conversation on that and I don't know enough about the topic to remark but he's uh, like as a songwriter interestingly enough he actually did a sequel to Rocky Horror called Shock Treatment uh-huh. which is it, none of the original cast returns except for Charles Gray, him, and actually no, the Colombian Little Nell are still the, who's they're still in it. Mm-hmm. As is Charles Gray, which I enjoy because I like seeing Ernst Savro Blofeld and things. Um, Shock treatment though has Jessica Jessica Harper Jessica Harper uh, in it, who is also in Phantom of the Paradise. Remember that because we're going to come back to that. <laughs> but uh, see, like I told you, everything's interconnected. God's an electric olive. Um, and Richard O'Brien. As as Riff Raff in this and in as like a cultural figure because he's also been in Derek Jarman movies. He's written like Derek, Rich, like Richard O'Brien's a guy who's made some really interesting things. And Rocky Horror is both the apex and the broadest version of that. It's it's a well and true cult film, but it's not a bad film. Is mm-hmm. the thing like Rocky Horror? When I first saw it, I didn't see it in a screening. I rented it and I saw it in my house. And the thing about that was that I was like this movie isn't terrible it's not it's not bad like it's not technically bad i'm enjoying it i'm having a good time watching it mm-hmm. like it's like for me on par with something like reefer madness the musical and that is a show that's been transferred to the screen yeah Reefer madness the musical that's actually a good one especially if you're a fan of the once in future veronica mars Kristen bell um and with with uh rocky horror like the thing about it is that the time warp dominates that that's the thing that fixes in everyone's minds, plays on radio stations. And it's a hard sell to overcome Tim Curry in a corset. And I don't think the time warp gets there because that character st- looms tall over not just, like, that, that character is very culturally ubiquitous. Like, think about the number of people who go to the effort to cosplay as him. It's not an easy costume to pull off. Mm-hmm. And when that has, like, these iconic things in it, it sticks no matter what. So the traditions that come around it compound that. I think the uh, Rocky Horror as a cultural phenomenon makes a surprising amount of sense mm-hmm. for as weird a show as it is. It is quite a weird show. I mean, and then and then there's the Glee version, which is just kind of sad. It, I, anyway, anyway I, yeah, let's talk about the Rio. I don't though. hate Glee for what it's worth. But. Let's talk about the Rio, though. Um, it's going to be a good venue. Yep. When is it? That is so. That's Friday, October twenty second, twenty seventh, as mm-hmm. well as Saturday, October twenty eighth. Now those are both sold out. Rush tickets available at the door. Uh, Sunday, October twenty ninth. There's another one, and as another one on actual Halloween. On actual October thirty first. There is not one, however, on Monday the thirtieth. There is not one. You know why that is? Why that is? Because there is. I was going to say drum roll, but it doesn't really build up that. Phantom of the Paradise. Let's talk about it. Phantom of the Paradise is a fascinating movie. It really is. It's fascinating the same way Rocky Horror is. It's also a musical. Mm-hmm. It's also made by an interesting director, Brian De Palma. Uh, it has Jessica Harper. Jessica Harper. I'm pretty sure it's Jessica Harper. Yes, Jessica Harper. I mean, it's her show. In it. From Suspiria. And uh, it also has Paul Williams, of all people. If you saw a Baby Driver, he's in that. But uh, looking remarkably similar to the way he looked in Phantom of the Paradise. Uh-huh. He's Okay, just some back the background there. Phantom of the Paradise was made in the 70s. Yeah, 1974. Yep. It looks like it. 
But it is a really interesting movie in that the Rocky Horror is a, a movie about about movies to an extent. A movie yeah. about the the movie that inspired Richard O'Brien, not movies in general. Which is it's about genre film, and it's a in my opinion one of the best movies about movies ever made because it's fun and it doesn't sound like a taxonomy, but it sums up what makes genre films so immensely entertaining. Phantom of the Paradise is a movie about music, among yeah, other things. It, it's uh, the funny thing is its initial release was October thirty first, nineteen seventy four, to Halloween. Hmm, I wonder if that's coincidental. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, the thing about Rocky, I'm going to say, I like a lot of songs in Rocky Horror other than Time Warp. Uh, the Meatloaf song in that one I particularly like. But they're not strong songs, I'm going to say. Aside from Time Warp, they're, they tend to be a little weak. Yeah, only I, to be honest, I only remember Time Warp. Well, it's like, it's like like Richard O'Brien had one power, like the lead single for it. And the other songs just sort of, again, it's the characters singing the songs that makes them great. When yeah. you can get Meatloaf to sing a song, no matter how tenuous the wording is on the song, it will come off as awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a pretty... That was before Meatloaf even recorded. That was just prescient for him. Phantom of the Paradise is honestly... Phantom of the Paradise is good singers, too. Jessica Harper's a good singer. Paul Williams is a very good singer. Paul Williams wrote the entire score for it, and he's notable, among other things, for writing the Carpenters songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I grew up with uh, the Carpenters music, uh, and it's interesting to see the guy who wrote those songs in this role, because he's not an actor, really. He's a songwriter. He's a good actor. Mm-hmm. In it, like he's about five foot nothing, mildly, mildly porcine blonde dude in a three piece suit, but he's incredibly charismatic. He owns the the frame there, like, and as a short blonde guy myself with a fondness for three piece suits, I just kind of like I, I like that. The soundtrack is worth buying. I own it on on iTunes. Like, uh, there's a really it ends, the original ending actually is cut, but the original ending, mm-hmm. the story behind the last song on the soundtrack, which plays over the credits, is kind of amazing. But it's, another thing about it is the way it's written. Wait, how is it written? So it's written with a mixture of really odd and almost archaic influences, including Phantom of the Opera by Gaston LaRue. As yeah. an adaptation, this is not one of the filmic adaptations, but Brian De Palma is like Scorsese. He knows the history of what he makes. Mm-hmm. And he did did the research for this through and through. Um, the thing about this that makes it great, though, is that it also mixes that story. Because um, The Phantom of the Opera, I don't know if anyone here has read the original novel, is not a very strong novel. The original story is best mic- taken with a grain of salt, in my opinion, when mm-hmm. remixed. And films often did that. Because early film especially is known for taking a very laissez-faire attitude towards adaptation. De Palma mixes it with Faust. Yeah. And it's very good with that because there's the songs in it are songs about Faust, and almost all the songs use that. And Faust mm-hmm. is a story that's been written with intense poetic fervor by people like Christopher Marlowe and, mm-hmm. and Goethe. And because of that, you have these intersecting stories and a number of these allusions all inside this bizarrely dated but dateless 70s aesthetic. It has to be seen to be believed. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, like again, the music's great for it. Like it's over the top as all hell. But if you're, it's a similar kind of over the top to Rocky Horror, but with a darker edge. Rocky Horror is something that is at its heart kind of zippy. The ending maybe less so, but at its whole, on the whole, like it's zippy the way a lot of genre films are because you don't feel that there's necessarily a stake, and that's not a bad thing. With Phantom of the Paradise, there's this in- mood of damnation involved. Mm-hmm, because of the Faust. Yeah, damnation and corruption. Yeah. And it approaches it with such this gleeful attitude of immorality. Again, Paul Williams' performance and it is really good. I, I got a lot of good things to say about it. So that's kind of perfect. That's honestly uh, I'd say a perfect Halloween movie on par with Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. It's a great musical too. Go see it at the Rio. That, that one I do not believe is sold it's out. A, it's a big like cult hit too. It's the, yeah. both the city of Winnipeg and the band Daft Punk's favorite movie. The city it, of Winnipeg. That's right. Yes. We're saying that is a good thing in this context, by the way. Uh-huh. <laughs> Shout out to Winnipeg. Thanks for Guy Madden. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Daft Punk, if you see the, the main character, uh, you'll, you'll f- figure out why it's Daft Punk's favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Do you have any favorite Halloween movies, Ashley? I get the do feeling we come around to this every year. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I do, but most of the time I like I like kind of like um I really I used to really like zombie movies a lot. Mm. <laughs> I can't 
can't do zombie movies. I love how you just how you had like a visible a shiver come across your features as your body coiled and like like which one like Day of the Dead or ah oh, I like Day of the Dead. I like that too. I watched a lot of zombie movies uh in so much that they all like you know how they all kind of become one but they're all different. You have like the fast zombies, you have the slow zombies, you have the mm. ones that are like infected by like you know disease you have ones that are like oh we're we're like dead but they came back alive kind of zombies i like the 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 zombies spread by viruses so when i was younger i used to have these visceral nightmares about going to sleep and waking up and there'd be a zombie apocalypse really rather like in 28 days later yeah (laughs) like i would and that is something like I think for about two years, mm-hmm. screwed with my circadian rhythms. Oh, I'm so sorry. And eventually, no, 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 it's, you didn't cause it. But eventually what I figured out <laughs> to do is like, yeah, just picture Homer Simpson in there. Suddenly it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that I've, as much as that scares me, voodoo zombies yep. have always kind of interested me. Yeah. Because, uh, well, White Zombie, the movie with Bela Lugosi, mm-hmm. is in public domain and you can see that. And that's credited as being the first zombie movie. It's also a study in creeperdom because the pr- concept is this guy realizes that his lovers wants this woman who's engaged. So he's like, hey, Bella Lugosi, turn her into a zombie. This will work perfectly. Perfect. <laughs> Don't ask Bella Lugosi to do things. <laughs> he's like, like, he's Bella freaking Lugosi. In, in the movie, he's... He's like a sugar plantation owner who is has entirely zombified workers. He's like, they oh, need no sleep. They yeah. need no rest. And like, ha, huh, colonialism. Saw that one. Colonialism slash uh, also like Sadly you know, not uncharacteristic. Of yeah, capitalism. The, this is set in Haiti, by the way. Oh, that's really, uh, yeah. And like murder, le, his name is literally murder legendre. Cool. And he's played by, why would you ever trust someone like that? I'm guessing that's not the kind of zombie movie Mm-hmm. you're dealing with here oh no not not really but i i, I used to really like zombie movies then it kind of got like you know overplayed and then everyone thinks it can survive a zombie apocalypse all of a sudden they're like oh, yeah i watched like six seasons of like the walking dead i know how to survive a zombie apocalypse no and i don't think it's true i think people i think a lot of, a lot of people will you know freak out and stuff like that i don't think i can survive one here's an interesting thing i don't think i can survive one you know how you can tell about politics one interesting way to tell about politics how which one do you find scarier zombies or vampires um, I would, well, the thing is, it depends on, like, the vampire, like, mythos we're working with, because if you don't invite a vampire into your home, then, you know, they can never kind of get into your home. Romero zombies versus Stoker vampires. Oh, hmm. Romero zombies are scarier. See, this is the interesting thing about that. What? So they showed that people with liberal proclivities. Yeah. So this is just socially. I think, uh, is we're more afraid of Romero zombies and people with conservative proclivities are more afraid of Stoker vampires. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to think about that because... That's scary. Well, oh, go, go ahead. Well, the thing about the Stoker vampire, though, yeah. is like think about the sexuality involved. Think about sort of the thing there, in, intruding into the into someone's home. It's, it's a very personal variety of violation. Yeah. And in a... I suppose that there's a certain skew there towards, one, if you have more conservative mores, something that is sexually fearful is usually more impactful. And one would say I'm generalizing heavily here. Mm-hmm. Whereas zombies, like people ask Romero a lot, and he kind of agreed, like, yeah, zombies, consumerism, basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm from Pittsburgh. It, 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 it makes a lot more sense there. Or Philadelphia. <laughs> I've, I've been to both places. Yeah, it does fit. Uh and it's things like that that, mm-hmm. that kind of well, like, the thing about zombies, independent of politics, because I, I I'm not entirely sure how well that fits, but the rationale there kind of makes sense to me. Okay, I think it's always scared me about zombies is with an individual vampire, you can you can trick them. Yeah, you can they 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 can also trick you, but you're dealing with something that has a, a certain thought. intelligence. With yeah. a zombie, and you're biases. just dealing with yeah. Zombies just want to eat. They just want to destroy. Like they just have this appetite that just and also they will multiply you can kill as many of them as you can get but as long as zombies don't kill you they recruit you mm-hmm. that's uh i i don't i think that was what uh, i think i think i remember that from uh D must be it's like the undead don't kill they recruit because that that's that's sort of an, an issue mm-hmm. like if it's walking dead universe where people die whether or not it become a zombie whether or not they die by the hands of one or not you can't you can't beat them yeah and, uh, like, with a vampire, like, honestly, like, if, if a vampire outsmarts him, I'm like, you know what? Well played. Suck away. 
Mm-hmm. But you know, you have to like invite them to your home. They, they, you know, their you know reflections don't show. Like there are so many ways that you know you can tell they're a zombie. Like all right, especially in 2017. All right, selfie. Wait a, a second. second. You have no reflection. I was wondering why you burst into flames when sunlight came on you. I thought you were just really pale. Wait, maybe you had like Irish complexion. I don't know. <laughs> like it, it was like uh, things like that. Like like with uh, the vampire too. Yeah. Like the I, I reread the graveyard book a little bit ago. Okay. Just realized that Silas from the graveyard book spoilers. Well, not really spoilers. They don't shadow. They kind of imply it from the beginning of the book is a vampire. Because mm-hmm. towards the end of the book, they say they're in a diner and he looks in the window and Silas has no reflection. Mm-hmm. And the kid no, he's talking to knows this because Silas has been his guardian for like ten years. But I'm like, oh, that's why he's only comes around at night. Oh, I I, I just thought he had a day job. <laughs> nope, nope, just just hanging out in a coffin. Mm-hmm. Just you know, another thing about vampires is that they're so anal retentive. Like you just throw coffee beans. I'm like, god damn it, gotta count every coffee bean. One, two. Is that a real thing? That's like a from like which mythos? The Filipino myth. Ah, uh, the Filipino myth. That, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's um Carla Carla Commanda. Yeah. From, she told me about that. Like, uh, like some of those, a lot of the myths about vampires, though, in Sp- in Spanish countries are, Yeah, like, there's a lot of, like, cool, like different Like, you bury too. them with a blanket, and they can only can only pick it apart one stitch out of every year. Yep. That's just, like, just, they just have OCD, is the thing. <laughs> zombies are the opposite. Zombies are a little slovenly. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that's, like, the only kind of, like, quote-unquote supernatural creature that really scares me. I'm actually not really that afraid of ghosts. Well, there's... Either. Well, I mean, like, they're ectoplasm. It's like, mm-hmm. hi, buddy. Sorry about the lack of a unless no, it's the poltergeist, the main thing in which is, case they're just basically like the main thing is like what one once I noticed this thing about ghosts, I wasn't afraid of them anymore. It's just they're always bound to the house they're in. Well, right? I'm moving. Bye. Like, that's like the one thing I noticed. So like in a lot of ghost stories, that oh, this is a haunted house, it's mm-hmm. a haunted thing. Like so they're only bound to like the vessel they're kind of like really put in. So I'm like, if the house is not locked, I'll be like, well, you know what? I can just leave. You can't. So suck on that. It's like, it makes everything less scary to me. It's like Beetlejuice rules. They leave and they get eaten by a sandworm. Who knows? Uh, yeah, they're always uh, like stuck uh, in that uh, one place. That, that'd be a great Halloween movie. <laughs> that's that's a great movie. That's Michael Keaton. You like it? Yeah. I worked on it a while. <laughs> Anyways, we have uh, a few more uh, mm-hmm. messages and then we'll uh, actually end with a really oh. in-depth review. Oh, wait. Oh, Orpheus. Yeah. That just occurred to me. We were talking about Faust and everything. The other yeah. side of that coin is probably Orpheus. And we'll talk about it after these messages. Hello. Hi. Do you want to go to a party with me? No. The game's on. Oh, I almost forgot. I'll be right there. We like sports and we don't care who knows. From shooting hoops to the Super Bowl. Do you like sports and don't care who knows? Then CITR Sports needs you. If you like sports, are into radio, or generally just want to have a great time, then come join us. Email our sports coordinator at sports101 at citr.ca to find out more. Or come by the station in the new sub. See you soon. Watch because I'm the man. UBC Theatre and Film presents a world premiere shining with love and possibility. Wives and Daughters by Jacqueline Ferkins, based on Elizabeth Gaskell's Victorian serial novel, is a charming romp of love convoluted by hidden desires and expectations. I like to be liked, but when people carry their affection too far, they become troublesome. Cynthia's a sweet girl and charming, but she was always in some spot of trouble. She wasn't mischievous, exactly, but mischief seems to follow her. Join us from November 9th to 25th at the Frederick Wood Theater. After a certain age, a daughter becomes inconvenient. So we must stop being inconvenient daughters and become inconvenient wives? Theaterfilm.ubc.ca Save the date for Pivots and Spins, Access Gallery's annual auction fundraiser on November 18th at 7 p.m. Promising to be Access's most exciting auction yet, Pivots and Spins features spectacular work generously donated by over 50 local and international artists, including Eli Bornowski, Daria Ake, Cindy Machizuki, Kathleen Ritter, 
and Sandra Semchuk. Complete with handcrafted cocktails, organic BC wines from Summerhill Pyramid Winery, Pilsner from Steam Whistle Brewery, works expertly framed by fine art framing, and music organized by CITR 101.9 FM. Check out www.accessauction.tumblr.com for more details about contributing artists, the silent auction, and live auction works. book and comic vendors will be gathering at the Gold Corp Center for the Arts on Sunday, November 5th for Broken Pencils Canzine Vancouver Fair. The event runs from 1 to 7 and admission is free. Visit canzine.ca for more details. And like Orpheus, we're back. We're back. Unlike Orpheus, there's a pair of us. That's right. Okay, oh, that was kind of cool. But still, also, you know how you the know, story ends. You know how it ends. It's like it's a great myth. I'm sorry. If you are like, oh my god, I was spoiled about you know Orpheus' story. Sorry, well, actually, it's a Greek the way myth. his life ends is kind of interesting in the myth. Apparently, he gets torn apart by women because yep. he says he hates all women. Yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly how he gets that. I mean, if anything, he'd be kind of mad at Hades. Uh, was it Hades who gave him that dictum? I don't actually remember. I thought it was per- yeah, yeah. Wasn't it either Persephone? Well, no, I don't know. I don't think Persephone was involved. Anyway, anyway. you can actually see that story on That's Sunday. Right. Uh, at, there's a Orfeo, the La Favola de Orfeo mm-hmm. in Italiano. It's the first thing, it's the first example, surviving example anyway, what we know of as opera. Mm-hmm. It's by, by Monteverdi, literally Green Green Mountain or Green Hill in Italian. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's at the it's at the Chan uh, on uh, presented by UBC Theater and Film on mm-hmm. Saturday S- Sunday Sunday nope sorry, at three and actually that kind of fits in the Halloween bill because Orpheus literally goes to hell yeah. and back for people who are not aware of the story yeah would you so like to tell them so Orpheus is uh, a liar player basically he's a mixture of harpist and guitar player and he's basically he's like the rock god of the Greeks yeah he was one of the Argonauts. Yeah, it's like it's like that's like being in the Avengers if you were John Mayer with superpowers, <laughs> um, and I, I think he was in the Argonauts. I think he was one of the Argonauts. Anyway, so his love, his beloved Eurydice dies, mm-hmm. and Orpheus, not one to be daunted by little things like death, uh, goes down to the underworld and um, basically says, "I want your Eurydice back," and he manages to swing this. You'll have to see the opera to figure out how. Got to figure out some twist here. Uh, and, uh, but tragically, in the end, the ultimatum is this. He is told, you have to leave the underworld without looking back. That's right, you gotta trust it. Yeah, and, well, well, guess what he does? He looks back, and that's the last he ever sees of Eurydice. Mm-hmm. Her being like, oh man, a little disappointed, it's buddy. Like, we're right, yeah. We were right there. God damn it, Orpheus. Zeus, so damn close. it. But like uh, it, it's like that, and it's been told a lot of ways. Like a lot of the mm-hmm. operas, a lot of especially early operas, were about these favoli, fables, mm-hmm. or or stories in Italian might would might be another translation. But these things like this, because these were well known, is the thing. So you can focus on the music, which is a common technique in opera. Like mm-hmm. I, um, I would say, like the interesting thing about it is its historical place too, and that is the first example of an opera we have. Because before that, it would have been an actual play with pieces of music between it. This is told entirely in song. It's uh, it's worth checking out, actually. I, I, I would say that I have, a, I, have a, my, I have a semi-fluent knowledge of Italian, so I, I, I'm assuming they're going to have subtitles or else even I would be lost. Mm-hmm. So that would be, that's, that's a way to spend Sunday, you know? And, you know, you're, you're cripplingly hungover from Saturday, go to an opera. Oh, God, what? <laughs> He's going to hell. I feel like I'm going with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, but not only that. The the um, I've I've listened to one of the shows uh, before, like uh, and uh, presented by the um, by UBC, and it's very high quality, professional. Uh, the singers are oh, yeah. great, mm. it, it, and it's like uh, as you mentioned, it's a story that people know, so you can actually focus a lot on the music that is involved, and and I'm I'm pretty stoked on how people receive it. It's gonna be a good show. I I am too. Well. Mm-hmm. I'm just good. It's just good to see that, you know, because I remember we saw Menon. I wasn't terribly impressed with Menon. Like, it was good seeing, but it just wasn't exhilarating mm-hmm. as an opera. I it, This one's interesting in that it's the first of something, at least, mm-hmm. in that regard. Now, speaking of first, well, not really first, but innovations, Martin McDonough's The Lonesome West is on at Pacific Theater. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you right now, go see it. 
All right. Go see it. Because I, I saw this show, and it is kind of awesome. Now, for those of you unfamiliar, Martin McDonough is a Irish playwright working in the UK. And in the 90s, he was the first playwright since Shakespeare to have four plays staged in one season. And the, the reason for this is he wrote three plays in one year. And the story of how he did that is interesting because he's like, some interviewer for The Guardian asked him, was the play the first thing you wrote? He's like, well, no, you see, uh, the first thing I wrote, I tried to write a novel, that didn't really work. I was very into music, but I couldn't play an instrument, so that didn't quite fly either. And then a film was just too, just too exasperating. So what I eventually figured, well, you got nothing else to write, let's write a play. And that turned out pretty well for him. <laughs> um, this is the last of a trilogy. Uh, set in Lorraine. Lorraine? Lorraine. Lorraine. It's an Irish county. Oh, okay. In the boonies I, I, in Ireland. I, I'm totally saying like the French place, Lorraine. What's wrong with me? It's no, no not else as Lorraine. That would yeah, have been... Yeah, that's totally in Ireland. Actually, not in could Ireland. Have been, it actually, might could on? have been a similar play, honestly. Anyway. But, um, so it's about these two brothers, Valaine and Coleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only four characters. Valaine, Coleman, the priest, Father Walsh. Welsh! They make that joke in the play, too. No one can tell the name Welsh. And uh, schoolgirl, Gurleen, who sells them... Poutine, which is not poutine. It's basically potato moonshine. Mm-hmm. And that's what they drink a lot of it. And they drink a lot in this play. And this play is kind of awesome. Like It's an extremely dark play, but tonally speaking, it's it walks that fine line, what I call the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia line of you are willing to watch these characters and be interested in these characters, despite the fact that you know they're, prob- they're terrible people. Yep. So what it begins with is... Uh, the funeral of Valene and Coleman's father because Coleman accidentally shot his father in the head. And, as, as, as one akin does accidentally at times. And Welsh is having a crisis of faith because, well, as I believe Coleman says, he goes, Father, you don't have to worry about it, you know. I mean, what's bad about it? I mean, well, you're a bit weedy. You're an absolute fiend for the drink and you got an overpressing doubt about Catholicism. But other than that, you know, at least you're not after five-year-olds. It puts you up on half the priests in Ireland. <laughs> that, that's the kind of joke you're dealing with a lot of rapid fire humor and it really works and I I came to I, this is the first play of Martin McDonough's I've seen staged okay so I, you read his works before I read his works and I've seen the movies he did which are In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths mm-hmm. if you've never seen In Bruges uh, see that too it, it's a very good movie also incredibly dark uh, it's got Colin Farrell um, not not Jackie Gleason, but he looks like Jackie Gleason. <laughs> uh, his last name, Brendan Gleason. He's Irish. He was in 28 Days Later, actually. There's a lot of, like, things being connected. Everything is interconnected. Six degrees of separation. Yeah. Uh, he's in that. And they're both these Irish hitmen who are sent to Bruges by Ray Fiennes, who is in this, who is delightful. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to find something to quote from this that is free of profanity, but it's not. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about Martin McDonough. You get a lot of Irish and a lot of profanity. It's enough... More so in the plays than in his films, but you can still pick it up. Like, in The Lonesome West, the title actually is kind of funny. It's a, a play on uh, the playboy of the Western world, which is a play a play by J.M. Singe. Singe, he was an Irish playwright, contemporary of Yeats. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the this production was put on by people called Cave Canham, which is, like, a, a group of people who work together. Um, and they, uh, like, th- all of it was really effective in conveying the spirit of Martin McDonough, which is this vicious, talky, but ultimately human thing. Okay. In terms of the fact... Also, there's this connection to violence. And McDonough has this weird trick of making a mess on stage by the end of every show. Uh-huh. They do in this one. You're, it's, it's interesting to see it, because you can kind of see it coming, but then you can't really. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, Father Welsh, played by Sebastian Archibald, like that actor, he has probably the meatiest role in it. Although um, Paige Lauter as Gurleen also has that. Like, the thing about Coleman, played by Kenton Claassen, a dead ringer for Zach Galifianakis, and Valaine, played by John Voth, their main thing is their interactions with each other, and that comes to a head towards the end. There is quite a strong climax to this play, but Walsh has sort of an up-and-down story, and how that ends is kind of essential to it. Mm-hmm. it it's just an excellent play. And... Like, the thing about Tom Waits, I mentioned him earlier. He was in Seven Psychopaths, which is probably... It's a film Martin McDonough did. And it's the most self-reflexive work he's produced. It's actually a little too meta in places. McDonough's gone a weird route recently. Well, actually, he's gone a pretty characteristic route recently. Because weird for Martin McDonough is still... Pretty far as far as, you know, taste goes. Like, he's good at being just tasteless enough. Because he... 
he's over the line pretty much the entire play, but the tone fits. The, um, the thing about Tom Waits being in Seven Psychopaths, which is where Colin Farrell plays an Irish writer with alcohol issues named Marty. Mm-hmm. Wink. <laughs> um, which also has uh, Sam Rockwell and Christopher Walken, who are also in one of McDonough's newer plays, A Behanding in Spokane, where Christopher Walken has to search for his missing hand. That's just, I can't add anything to that. That's just a great description of something. What's your play about, Marty? Christopher Walken finding his hand. Take (laughs) our money. Uh, Tom Waits is in that, though, as, and he has one of my favorite monologues, anything, where he has to, he's one of the titular psychopaths, and he has to explain to, to, um. A titular psychopath. Yeah, the the Marty character is writing a film. He's about seven psychopaths. And it's kind of hilarious, his concept of it, because he's like, I want to write a psychopath, but uh, he doesn't do any killing people. He's sort of a, a Buddhist. And uh, later on, he's doing a worksheet of it. He crosses out Buddhist, writes Quaker, and then mm-hmm. writes Amish. No, he writes Amish, and then crosses that writes Quaker. And in his, his dreams, is played by Harry Dean Stanton. It's kind of, oh, rest in peace, Harry Dean, by the way. Uh, but Tom Waits shows up. The Quaker psychopath is not Tom Waits, by the way. Tom Waits has his monologue, goes, he wants to, Marty to help him find his wife. And yep. he goes, why did you help me think you'd help him find your wife? Well, here's the thing. Um, we'd uh, he does he tells him about the way he introduced his wife, which I can't go into because we're running out of time. He's like, basically, we figure out uh, we'd go around the country killing people who uh, went around the country killing people, uh, serial killer killer, <laughs> if you will. And it's like just see Colin Farrell there, just looks stops writing, looks terrified. Mm-hmm. And, oh, also I should mention Tom Waits is carrying a white rabbit which he pets. Uh, they get that white rabbit from the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> Okay. Who they set on fire. Okay, in the movie. He doesn't look like Ted Cruz in the movie. <laughs> uh, well, maybe if he had a beard. I don't know. But that's the sort of thing you can get from Martin McDonough. That's Martin McDonough at his most cartoony. And The Lonesome West, which I do want to tie back to because it is still very much worth seeing. Mm-hmm. It's on until November 11th at the Pacific Theater, and you really got to see it. It sounds really good, especially if people like, you know, Something like happening on stage. It is very lots of rapid dialogue. I'm yeah, it, it is like it, it keeps it, you very entertained and engaged throughout. Yeah. I will say this: this thing, the bread and butter of this thing is suicide, alcoholism, and Irishness. Even bread and butter. <laughs> I'm not gonna make a joke about the last of those things in relation to the first two, but the uh, that if if you're mm-hmm. if you if you at all have a weak stomach or if you're easily unsettled by this yeah it's, 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 well, maybe yeah no just martin mcdonough people should check out his other bodies of work and then see if they like the feel mcdonough but especially style i i really want to say this cave canham the people who made this they yep. put a lot of work into it and they really understand the pattern what makes a mcdonough play work and how to keep it going like this is probably most stylistically similar to it's always sunny in philadelphia down okay. to yeah. the character of father welsh being similar to rickety cricket Mm-hmm. A little bit, a little bit. A little bit. You'll see how it goes in the play. But see that one, certainly, mm-hmm. at Pacific Theater. You won't regret it. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, kind of close by to Pacific Theater, uh, there's another, there's like a little bit different. This is a jovial political satire. It's called Ching, a King, oh, yeah. what King we got on for Charles III. That's right. And that's at the Arts Club Stanley mm-hmm. Industrial Alliance stage. So if you are uh, interested, it's based on an, an imagining of the British monarchy following the death of Queen Elizabeth. King Charles III is a Shakespearean play for history not yet written. Uh, yeah, yeah. The play won for Best New Play at the Critics Circle Theatre Awards and at the Laurence Olivier Awards. So Olivier. Olivier, thank you. Uh, if you are interested in that, that's by the Arts Club. Uh, really My grandfather interesting. looked a lot like Laurence Olivier. Really? Yeah, he bore a striking resemblance to him. Um, I don't think there was a relation, but... <laughs> you know, the funny thing was, I, w- I was at Studio Sessions a little bit ago. Yeah, let's talk about that. And for people who don't know, Studio Sessions was It was a- an initiative from UBC Arts and Culture. There was some great stuff. There was uh, Rebecca Hope, singer-songwriter I've seen a couple times. She mm-hmm. was there. Did a great set. Um, UBC Dance Club, they, they did some... Oh, um, A Passage from Doubt, A Parable was read. Okay, great. Uh, the, the show coming up from uh, the Players Club. Uh, that was pretty intense, actually, but the crowning thing about it was UBC Slam, uh, because Jamie from UBC Slam, we interviewed, she was part of the interview we did for UBC Slam. Mm-hmm. She did a poem about Gord Downey's death, and it sampled a song he did, and because she, she could sing it, she can sing very well, uh, and that was, because Gord Downey had died that day, I believe, or, mm-hmm. 
end. It was it was a really emotive moment. Like there were people with tears in their eyes. Also, my my, my buddy Noah and his and uh, Eke, the guy you guys know from Strawberry Vanilla Ice Tea, they ended the show uh, with with songs of their own. They were both their own songs, but they were wearing like Sound of Kalima hoodies, like they were represented there. Uh-huh. MTT also did a pretty good set. They did that away from curtains. Uh, uh, and uh, they also did Candy Store from Heather's, which will be their show in the new season. Oh, semester. yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah. I, since we both liked Heather's so much. I love Heather's. That's, yeah. like, my favorite musicals are Wicked and Heather's, and I re- it's really hard for me to decide which because I have such a sentimental attachment to Wicked, but Heather's just wowed me so much when we saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they did Candy Store very well, by the way. That was yeah, some uh, that's interesting. very impressive vocals. I, I, a buddy of mine starts singing that when she goes into a pharmacy, and I'm, I'm worried about her now. Oh, no. Uh, well, just to let people know, this is the end of our show. This is our pre-Halloween show. Next time when we uh, catch you guys, I'll be post-Halloween. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to the Arts Report. In case you are still interested in the cool ticket giveaway, uh, you can contact us at arts, A-R-T-S, at C-I-T-R dot C-A. Just put in the subject... Uh, heading title like you know ticket giveaway and the show that you are interested in going to mm-hmm. and again to remind you if you're interested in going to see the foreclosure follies please email us the name of the ubc professor involved in the show all right and if you're interested in seeing uh, zakir hussein and dave holland you can um, uh, either have the name of the album the miles davis album the miles davis band that uh, dave holland participated in hint initials bb like richard bardot or the Italian director for whom Zakir Hussein has composed. Also BB. Yeah. Anyways, thanks so much for listening to our show. Cheers. We'll see you next week.